Tonight's scripture reading will come from John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. John 1, 14 through 18. And the word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we beheld the glory, the glory of the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he has for he was before me, and all of his all of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law has give, was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared him. One would be hard-pressed to find any passage that says more about Jesus in a relatively short amount of space than John 1, 1 through 18. So open your Bibles there as we continue our study of John 1, 1 through 18. Think of it as an entryway. An entryway to the very throne of God because as John begins this gospel account, he is taking us to eternity past and what God will be doing in Jesus to save us. We talked this morning about how Matthew begins saying that Jesus is the long-awaited king and gives his genealogy, his credentials. We talk about how Mark begins with the baptism of Jesus and his earthly ministry. We speak of how Luke talks about how Jesus is the perfect man. And it speaks of the events concerning John the baptizer's birth and then the Lord's. And then it gives a genealogy for Jesus. But when you get to John chapter 1, John takes us to the beginning. It sounds so much like Genesis chapter 1. And we look at John 1, 1 through 18, and it is an introduction to the Word, Jesus. To God, the Word, Jesus Christ. And the introduction takes place in these 18 verses in chapter 1. Then everything that follows for the remaining portion of the book, 21 chapters in all, will be all about Things that are introduced in John 1 about Jesus. It's a great chapter to think about and to try to unpack. This morning we began trying to unpack what John 1 says about Jesus. Introducing the word. And in the course of our study this morning we looked at six truths about the word. Introducing the word. The first truth that we noticed was the Word has always existed. That the Word was with God in the beginning. That brings me to a second truth. That the Word is God. Based also on John 1 verses 1 and 2. People need to know that Jesus is not second-rate deity. That Jesus is not some exalted angel. 
Jesus was present with God the Father at the beginning. And he is God in the fullest sense. John 1.3 talks about Jesus, the Word, is creator. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. It states it positively and negatively. All things were made by him. He is the creator, not created. Without him was not anything made that was made. Then you continue looking at John 1, number 4. The word is life and gives life. That is such a prevalent concept in the book of John. And it begins to be unpacked for us right here in the prologue, the entryway to the book. And then it says that the word is light. That Jesus is light and that he provides light for us to see in the midst of a dark world. And then finally, number six. The word had witness born to him by John the baptizer, the forerunner of Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. So if you weren't here this morning, there is a quick review. But guess what? That's only John 1, 1 through 8. Now let's look together at John 1, verses 9 through 18. Amen? And let's do it and have a blast because so much is seen about Jesus, the Word here. In John chapter 1, notice this first of all. From John 1, verses 9 and 10, the Word came into the world. The Word came into the world, verses 9 and 10. Now friends, what this does is anticipate it anticipates verse 14, the incarnation, God, Jesus, becoming man and living among us. Kind of keep that in mind. The Word came into the world. And one would think that the creation would know and acknowledge its creator. One would think that. But when the creator of the cosmos comes into this world, he is neither known by the creation, nor is he acknowledged as the creator. I suspect one of the most painful experiences in life, and I have witnessed it on a number of occasions through the years, is to be present when a very close family member, a loved one, perhaps a wife or a child, is in the presence of someone in advanced stages of Alzheimer's or dementia, and they do not recognize their own child or their own spouse. That can be so heartbreaking, can it? And for me to have witnessed it, it would break my heart when I would see that. Imagine the Word 
And all the things that I've just said about him from John 1, 1 through 8, coming into this world in verses 9 and 10, and the world didn't know him or acknowledge him as the creator. The word came into the world. How humble of him. The word came into the world and experienced a world that did not know or acknowledge him. How humble of him. He could have ended it then and there. But that's not the story of John 1, 1 through 18, or the gospel, is it? The Lamb of God came to take away sin, John 1 and verse 29. That brings me to a second truth. If you would, look at John 1. And look at verses 10 and 11. John 1, verses 10 and 11. The Word was rejected by the world and even by His own people. We think of all of those Old Testament passages that spoke of a king coming. And when the king comes, his own people reject him. In view of the things that we have just been studying, they are rejecting their God they are rejecting their creator. They're rejecting the one about whom John was a witness, and not just John, but all of the prophets of the Old Testament in pointing to him. They are rejecting life and choosing death. They are rejecting darkness. No, they're rejecting light and choosing death. What John is wanting us to see in these opening 18 verses, this entryway to the great purpose of God and the throne room of God, he's wanting us to see is that everyone has to look at the fact that he came and the evidence that he came and that he is who he is demands a verdict. And if one does not respond positively to him, one prefers darkness to light. One prefers death to life. And that's the idea of these verses, profound as that is. Look, if you will, now at John chapter 1.
and consider verses 12 and 13. Because John 1, 12 and 13 contains this truth about Jesus, about the Word. The Word makes children of God out of those who receive Him. Out of those who believe in His name. Now, Adam, when you look at John 1, verses 12 and 13, it's really the focal point of the passage. It is the salvation mountaintop of this whole passage because it tells us why he comes, why he clothes himself in humanity and walks among us. Notice that the invitation is for all, to all, to everyone, to as many as received him. All you that labor and are heavy laden, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Whosoever will let him come, Revelation twenty two seventeen. The invitation is for everyone and anyone to receive him, to believe in his name. Now, those are pretty much two ways of speaking of a positive response to Jesus, the word. Wouldn't you agree? To receive him, to believe in his name. But as you put them together, they really say a lot about an appropriate response to Jesus, especially when we look at the rest of Scripture. Children of God are made when one receives Jesus and believes in His name. Again, go back to the purpose statement of John, John 20, verses 30 and 31. It gives further insight. Many other signs, therefore, did Jesus in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's part of receiving him. There's no question about that. And that believing you might have life in his name to receive and to have life in his name. Briefly, turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts. Look at Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Salvation is found in no other. Salvation is found in no other name. Only in the name of Jesus is salvation found. So salvation is in Christ, receiving Christ and believing in His name. Follow with me, if you would, to Acts 2. Acts 2. In Acts chapter 2, note verse 21. 
that whosoever shall call on the name, there's that expression again, of the Lord, believe in his name, call on his name, shall be saved. Now go down to verse 38 of Acts 2. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the what? In the name. To believe and receive Jesus, to believe in the name and to receive Jesus involves believing in Jesus and who he is. The context of John 1 is going to show that, that he's God. That he's the creator. That he is the one who's come and lived among us and went to the cross for our sins, dying for those sins. That he has arisen from the grave. That he's at the right hand of God right now. And we respond to that in faith, repentance, and baptism. Now notice verse 41. Then they that gladly received the word were baptized. It is amazingly difficult to get around the fact that receiving the Lord and believing in his name involves not just faith, but repentance and baptism. When we let Scripture speak. Turn again to Acts 22, verse 16. Acts 22, 16. The conversion of Paul, Saul of Tarsus. And now why do you tarry? Arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. I would suggest as humbly and as kindly and yet as forcefully as I possibly can that if we are going to receive Jesus today and if we are going to believe in the name of Jesus, we need to encourage people today to do what the apostles encouraged people to do in the book of Acts. And it's solid ground. And any other ground is not so solid. Now you say, what about John? I'm glad you say that. Turn to John chapter 3. Because in describing a new birth and becoming children of God in the new birth, the new birth is one that consists of being born of water and the Spirit. Baptism and the gift of the Spirit. Acts 2.38 Water and the Spirit. Children of God. Now, let's proceed a little more. If this is the time and the way when God receives people as his children 
And it necessitates believing in the name of Jesus and responding positively to that. We have no right to say anything else. No right. This makes people children of God. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians. Turn to Galatians with me. And notice this. Galatians 4, verse 4, reading through verse 6. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons, sons and daughters, children of God. And because you are children of God, sons and daughters, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, you are no longer a slave but a son, a child of God, and if a child of God, an heir through God due to Jesus. Three down, right? Go back to John 1 with me. A fourth truth to notice. Incidentally, one last thing I need to bring out. Three negatives. When a person becomes a child of God... It's not out of blood except the blood of Jesus. It's not out of flesh or the will of man. But the text says it is the will of God, but of God. Do you see that in John 1 here? You should. And this is the salvation mountaintop of John 1, 1 through 18. And the rest of John is going to be about receiving or rejecting. Believing in his name or unbelief. Now John 1, 14. Just as John 1, 12 and 13 were the salvation mountaintop John 1.14, in my judgment, is the mountaintop concerning Jesus. The greatest miracle ever heard was that God came down and became a man and dwelt among us. I was talking with several people earlier today that a dear friend of mine at Polishing the Pulpit is going to be preaching on the ten greatest days of history. I smiled when he got that subject because I got subjects like those who have no right to preach. I got subjects like you thought you were going to get Paul and the Ephesian elders and what you got as a preacher was an uncivil war.
But I'll tell you, any study of history's greatest days better include the day that God, the Son, became human flesh. Look at John 1.14. And the Word became flesh. There's the point. The Word became human. Not ceasing to be God, Jesus added something. He added humanity. I cannot explain that to my own satisfaction, so I suspect I won't be able to do it to yours. One person who has two natures, he is divine and he's human. But to make matters even more interesting, we have one God and yet three persons. We have the Bible, which is a human book written by men, and the Bible, which is a divine book written by God using men. I am so glad that I don't have everything figured out. And I can say nicely, you don't either. But we can enjoy the benefits of things we don't understand. Amen. We can enjoy the blessings. And to think of the humility and submissiveness of deity coming in here. You talk about a prince dressed like a pauper. Think of God putting on flesh and coming down to a world that does not know him or acknowledge him and rejects him. Think of life coming down. Think of light coming down. Think of the, crea think of the creator moving to our neighborhood. And that's exactly what's transpiring. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. The opening verses of John. 1 John, rather, 1 John 1, 1 through 3, talk about this God that they have seen and heard. Get this. Though Jesus was in human flesh, though he was flesh and blood like we are, When Jesus spoke, God spoke. When Jesus healed, God healed. 
And when Jesus acted, God acted. Because Jesus is God with us. Matthew 1, 21 through 25. So you got 12 and 13 talking about the salvation that Jesus came to bring. But bringing that salvation meant that he came down, the word came down. And what this does, Adam, catch this, this is richer than cream, man. What happens is this, to the Jewish mind, the word, that word expression being used of God means that God is the creator, that God is the revealer, and that God is a saving God. The prophets came with the word of God, you know, a revelation with deliverance. And may I suggest to the Jewish mind when they would have thought of Jesus the word, they would have ended up figuring out he's not only the one that created all things initially, he's the one that gives us new life in God. He's not just a revelation. He is the revelation that all the prophets talked about. And he's the final way God will ever speak. And the one who is the word is also the one who brings salvation. Deliverance from sin. And great hope and assurance from God. Now the Greek mind was different. When they thought of the word in Greek, logos, when they thought of logos, L-O-G-O-S, in our spelling, they thought about the rational principle by which everything worked. The rational principle by which everything worked. And I'll tell you what, Brother Terry, they got it right, but not far enough. You see, they thought of the rational principle as an it. But the rational principle by which everything works is not an it, but a person. And the Logos, Jesus, not only created everything, he keeps everything going, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. He is the rational principle that gives life and light. But he's not just a principle. He's a person of infinitely righteous and good principle. Now look, if you will, at verses 14 through 17 believe that this is number five. Is that correct? Truths about the Savior. We're looking at a dozen in all. Man, what a bunch of information to unpack in one passage. The Word brought grace and truth. That's the point of verses 14 through 17. The Word brought grace and truth. And really when you begin looking, especially at 15 through 17, the idea is this. The Word brought grace and truth. In the coming of Jesus, the Word 
truth has been brought. The truth that in God's justice and righteousness and holiness, something must be done about sin. Grace has come in Jesus. In that in the suffering and death and resurrection of Jesus, love and mercy and grace are extended to us. Now don't miss the point. Grace and truth existed in the, the law. But the idea of Hebrews 8 and verse 6 should be helpful here. That we have a better covenant enacted with better promises. You see, Moses was a prophet. Jesus is the Word. Moses was a created individual. Jesus is the Creator. Moses lifted up the brass serpent. Jesus was lifted up himself, John 3, 14. Moses provided manna for the people in the wilderness. Jesus is the bread of life. Moses, like all of the prophets, pointed to Jesus. John chapter 5, verses 45 and 46. Jesus is the one to whom all of the prophets point. The Word. From His fullness, the fullness of God, in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Colossians 2 verse 9. While man, you know what? There was a time when Jesus was not a human. But there has never been, nor will there ever be a time when he is not God. From his fullness we have all received grace upon Number six. John one eighteen. Jesus perfectly discloses the glory of God to us. You know... This is fascinating. So many concepts are introduced in John 1, 1 through 18 that are going to be just so crucial and pivotal to what the book of John is all about. But did you know that the word grace doesn't occur again in the, in the gospel of John, even though it's a book of grace. 
It never specifically is mentioned again in the Gospel of John. Did you know that the word declared or displayed or revealed that the Son has revealed the glory of the Father is never used again in the Gospel of John? Did you know that the word that we were just talking about in John 1, 14 and following from his fullness, verse 16, is never used again in the book of John? I say as humbly as I can, the words may not be found, but the concepts are all over the Gospel of John. Grace from Jesus, who is the fullness of God, and who exegetes, he interprets. You want to know what God is like, look no further than Jesus. And here's what's really cool, Will. With what chapter of the Old Testament does John 1 begin? With what chapter, Will? Genesis 1, right? In the beginning. And he ends with Exodus 33 and 34. No one can see the undiminished glory of God and live. Not even a good man like Moses... He deals, he lives in inapproachable life. The light, the New Testament teaches this too. 1 Timothy 6.16 But Jesus in coming as a human while remaining God declares the glory of God and exegetes and interprets what God is like as no one possibly could. You got that? The next time we sing, Why did my Savior come to earth and to the humble go? Why did he choose a lowly birth? Because he loved me so. The one who loved us and came here to save us is the one who beautifully and perfectly reveals the glory of God. If you want to know what God's like, look to Jesus. And you know what? If you want to know what Jesus is like, Look to Christians who belong to him. There's something about that that's really humbling, isn't there? But it's true. The best advertisement for Christianity has always been Christians who took their relationship with Jesus seriously thank you for listening we're about to stand and sing our song of encouragement
I don't really know how to say any clearer than I have in two lessons what John 1, 1 through 18 says. Simple truths they are, and yet they're simple enough that most of the children probably understood a lot of it, but deep enough that elephants, it, they're in over their head. That's how the Bible can be. For those of us who are Christians, let's resolve as never before to know the Word. And I'm not just talking about Scripture. I'm talking about knowing and acknowledging and relating to the Word. Amen? And for those who aren't Christians, surely it's time for you to receive Jesus. Surely it is time to believe in his name. Come to Jesus. Hear the word. Let us stand and sing.